Thanks to LinkedIn for supporting Motley Fool Answers. LinkedIn Jobs uses knowledge of both hard and soft skills to match you with the people who fit your role the best. Post a job today at linkedin.com slash fool and get $50 off your first job post. This is Motley Fool Answers. I'm Allison Southwick and I'm joined as always by, <laughs> have I already called you Bobbert? Bobbert Brokamp? It's I have, quite possible. I? Quite possible. Birdie, I've called you Birdie Brokamp, Bobbert Brokamp. But you're going to run out of options when you just make up names. Like Santa Claus. Hey, I'm joined by Santa Claus. It doesn't I work. I wish. Personal finance <laughs> expert here at the Molly Fool. Bro, how you doing? Good, how are you? In this week's episode, we're joined by Catherine Cullen from the National Retail Federation. We're going to talk about holiday spending and trends. You can see how you stack up. Are you frugal? Thrifty? Maybe not. I don't know. All that and more on this week's episode of Motley Fool Answers. So, bro, what's up? Oh, I got a few things for you. <gasps> do you have three? I do have three. Okay. Let's start off number one, the best decade ever. <gasps> Are we in it? Pretty much, I'd say. It's pretty hard to argue that we're not. So, the current bull market has been extraordinary. Uh, a while back, some point last year, it reached the achievement of being the longest bull market, mm-hmm. exceeding the bull market that went from 1990 to 2000. But it wasn't the highest returning bull market until recently, at least according to the Lutold Group, which is an investment research firm. So, as reported by CNBC, they say that the current bull market as of November, it reached a total return, and by this I mean the S&P 500, of 472%. So, Mm. that's price and dividends. That exceeds the previous record of the best bull market since World War II, that was 454%, which went from 1949 to 1955. Um, So, it's pretty extraordinary. Uh, Jim Paulson, who is the chief investment strategist at the Lutold Group, told CNBC, quote, the most outstanding feature of this cycle since 2008 is always going to be fear. I refer to this cycle to some degree, as the bearish bull market. And I think that makes total sense. Myself included, as been someone who's been throughout this period, like, this can't keep on going. And he pointed out that a lot of people that have been that way and have kept sort of dry powder on the side, mm-hmm. which has been part of what keeps fueling this, bear, this bull market, because more people say, like, OK, I'm going to miss out, and they keep putting some of this stuff they had the side into the market. Now, I should say that not everyone agrees that this is the longest bull market, because you define a bull market as basically a market that goes up until it hits a 20% decline. Now, there have been two points over the past decade where the market did drop 20% on an intraday basis, once in 2011 and once towards the end of the next year. But in both those instances, the market sort of ticked up right towards the end of the day, so that on a closing basis, the market was down by like 19.5%. Um, but regardless of what kind of age you give to this bull market, it has been extraordinary for stocks and it's been extraordinary for the economy because uh, this is December. And I think we can pretty safely say we're not going to hit a recession in this month, this month being the last of this decade. So that will make this decade the first in the United States when we have not had a recession, hmm. at least going back to 1850s, which is when they started keeping track of such things. So that's pretty good. That's but number pretty. Two, it's pretty good. That's pretty good. But let me point out. Here number, we go. Here item comes the two. awfulizing. It's not. It's not awfulizing. Okay. okay. But number the <laughs> second item is. But, but. Don't be surprised if you're lagging, quote unquote, the market because we often use the S and P 500 as a proxy of the market, but it's only 500 stocks among thousands in the U.S. and thousands and thousands and thousands in the world. 
And it's been particularly difficult over the last few years to beat the S&P 500. And here's some research from a recent article in um, Bloomberg from a guy named John Arthurs, which, of course, he's going to be a writer because his last name is Arthurs. It included research from uh, Andrew Lapthorne, the chief, the chief quantitative strategist at Société Générale. Mm. Anyways, he looked at 16,000 publicly traded stocks from across the world. What percentage of them have beaten the S&P 500 over a two-year basis? Barely 20%. The vast majority of stocks have underperformed the S&P 500. One of those reasons is because U.S. stocks have been beating international stocks. When you go back to the first decade of the 2000s, when international stocks did very well, throughout most of that period, the majority of stocks beat the S&P 500, and at some point, like 70 to 80 percent of stocks were beating them. But then there's also the fact that large companies' stocks have been beating small company stocks, and over the last five years, in particular, that has been the case. So, if you are hearing all this great news about the stock market hitting all-time highs, but you feel like your portfolio hasn't kept up, you're in good company. Most portfolios have not been able to beat the S&P 500 over the last several years. But don't worry, at some point in the future, small caps, international stocks, value stocks, or all of them all together will outperform the S&P 500, and you'll be glad that you owe them. So then, are you saying it's easier to beat the market when the market is tanking? Yes. And that was the case in the first decade of the 2000s. Over that first decade, the actual the S&P 500 lost money. So all you had to do was own cash, and you outperformed the right, S&P 500. Sure. If you own bonds, you outperformed the S&P 500. So it was much easier. So we come to item number three, as the market goes, so go retirement savings. So Fidelity Investments recently released its quarterly report on the retirement accounts that are held at the firm. And as of September 30th, the end of the third quarter, the number of workers with at least a million dollars in their 401k hit an all-time high of 200,000 people, and the number of people with a million dollars in their IRAs an all-time high of 182,000 people. Um, so, what's it take to accumulate a million dollars in your 401k? Well, a few years ago, Fidelity published research that revealed the characteristics that these people have in common. Four key things. Number one, they start early. So, mm. the typical 401k millionaire has been saving for more than 30 years. Number two, save almost 20% of your income. So, the average 401k millionaire contributes 14% to their 401k, and they got a 5% match from their employer. So, that's a combined rate of 19%. Um, if you have not been able to save for 30 years, the best way to make up for that lost time is to contribute more. Save 30, 40, 50 percent. And we've talked about that in previous episodes on the FIRE folks. Retire, financial independence, retire early. They found ways to do that. And good news for 2020, the contribution limits for 401ks are going up, so it'll allow you to save more. Number three, stock up on stocks. The typical seven-figure 401k allocates 75 percent to equities. And number four, leave the money alone. The typical 401k millionaire does not take out a loan and does not take out money early. If you take out money early, you often will pay a penalty and taxes. Surprisingly, 33% of people, when they leave their jobs, they cash out their 401k instead of rolling it over to their new 401k or an IRA. That's a recipe for certainly not having enough money for retirement. Uh, and one other good a uh, little factoid from the report is that uh, workers are now contributing more to their 401ks than ever. So the total contribution rate is 13.4%, up from 11.8% a decade ago. That breaks down to 8.8% for themselves and a 4.6% match. So that's good news. 
still, I generally recommend that you save 15 to 20 percent if you want to be very sure that you're going to retire on time, if not a little bit early. But that people are saving more is still good news. So, Allison, the stock market, retirement account balances, and savings rates are all the things that are up. Thanks to LinkedIn for supporting Motley Fool Answers. Hiring isn't as simple as putting an ad in the paper or posting to a job board. When you're juggling hires and everything it takes to grow your business, it's important that you reach the right candidates at the right time. That's why we use LinkedIn Jobs here at The Motley Fool to source and hire brand new fools. And boy, there are a lot of them. There's a bunch of them. They're all great. Over 600 million members visit LinkedIn to make connections, learn, and grow as professionals and discover new job opportunities. That's how they make sure your job post gets in front of the people with the right hard skills and soft skills to meet your role requirements. Things like collaboration, work ethic, adaptability. LinkedIn does the legwork to match you to the most qualified candidates so you can focus on hiring the person who will transform your business. And more than 35 million job seekers visit LinkedIn Jobs every month. That's a lot. To get $50 off your first job post, go to linkedin.com slash fool. Again, that's linkedin.com slash fool to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. I read the kids' letters to Santa Claus. I read them over one by one. And I'd surely like to get my hands on the fella that said Christmas shopping's fun. Oh, it's the holiday season, bro. It's your favorite time of year, isn't it? Oh, it it? is. How much do you enjoy um, the shopping and holiday and gift-giving aspect of the holidays? Uh, I'll do that in reverse order. I love the gift-giving part. I Uh actually do like shopping because I like being out with people. And Mm -hmm. and I don't like spending money, though, so that's a bit of a conflict. (laughs) But you do actually like physically going out to shops I, I, and like I as do. opposed to we're online big, shopping. Oh yeah, we're oh. big Black Friday and and and, and th- Thanksgiving evening is going shopping is definitely part of our family tradition. Really? I know you find it so surprising. I do because I'm a bit of a cheapskate, but uh, frugal. Yeah, we can say frugal. My, my, not everyone in my family is as frugal as I am. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Well. Catherine Cullen is joining us right now. She's been sitting here the whole time patiently waiting for me to stop (laughs) just being so surprised about your shopping habits. She's the Senior Director of Industry and Consumer Insights for the National Retail Federation's research team. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Hey, no judgment on your shopping style. Thank you right? very much. <laughs> on behalf thank of the you. National Retail Federation, she would like to thank you for getting out there early and often. Right? Uh, that's pretty much how it goes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So you're welcome, by the way. You're welcome. <laughs> so every year the National Retail Federation puts out just a ton of fascinating research on our holiday spending habits. So we thought it'd be fun to bring you here and kind of uh, have a visit from the spirits of holidays past, present, and future. And I know that Rick is very excited about providing me with some sound effects. Is that right, Rick? Uh, All you have to do is go, woo. Definitely. I'm ready. Okay, here we go. (laughs) All right, so. I'm trying to cue you. Cue Rick. Cue the ghost. Ooh, Ooh, look, bro. It's the spirit of holiday spending past. Where is it taking us? Why, it's taking us back 15 years. Sorry. It's taking us back 15 years to 2004. Oh, wow, look, it's me. Such a bright, shiny thing in my 20s, and I'm taking my annual day off where I go holiday shopping in Georgetown and get hot chocolate at Dean and DeLuca. It was only like $8. (laughs) Why, it's crazy. I'm literally walking around with a ton of bags. And this is literally what I used to do. It was amazing. (laughs) <laughs> that, that is amazing. That is amazing. When I taught elementary school, I was only five blocks from Dean and DeLuca. Oh, 
yeah, right? Yeah. You know the Dean and DeLuca. Uh, I'm talking about it in yeah. Georgetown. And I would I would treat myself once a year to a Dean and DeLuca hot chocolate. I don't oh, even remember if so it good. was it good. Yes. I don't know. All that yeah. mattered was like, they're telling me it's $8 or however ridiculously expensive it is, <laughs> yeah. so it must be good. But anyway, here we are in 2004, and most of us are doing our shopping the old-fashioned way by walking around in the cold and hoping that the perfect gift will jump off the shelves at you. So when the National Retail Federation looks at holiday spending, you look at a ton of different things and spending categories. Can you talk to us a little bit first, generally, about how you measure retail holiday spending? So you you break it up in categories, and it's it's a cornucopia of data. Absolutely. Uh, so the National Retail Federation has actually been conducting this survey with our partner Prosper for over a decade, uh, around the time you were shopping at Dina DeLuca in 2004, we were running our survey. So we survey every holiday in the U.S., which includes Valentine's Day, all the way through the winter holidays, which we're in now. We survey consumers across the country, more than 7,000 consumers nationwide, about their spending habits, their celebration plans. And so we have a really interesting view of how people's shopping habits have stayed the same or changed over the past decade or so. As if you've noted, 2004, you might have been doing a lot of shopping in person, and maybe this year, maybe you're ordering online. Maybe not so much. Or maybe doing both. So it's been a really interesting to watch how shopper behavior has transformed along with our survey. So in 2004, if I'm remember, if I'm getting the numbers right here, uh, individuals in the U.S. spent uh, a total of $792 on holiday spending, um, $540 on gifts, $163 on non-gift stuff. Does that include like food? Or food is a big spender for us, but maybe that's not. Yeah. So it, uh, we ask about food, uh, decorations, cards. Gift, uh, Christmas cards yep. are a big thing, our Hanukkah cards, as well as treating yourself type items. So those are things you might pick up for yourself or your family. Maybe Guilty. a new outfit, a new family pajamas are a big thing right now, if you may have noticed at all the retailers you're looking at. So there are all those kinds of items out there that people pick up during the holiday season. And that's really what we're looking at. Where What are you spending on holiday items, uh, which is a little different from our forecast for retail sales for the season, which looks at kind of all spending during this time period. We're really looking at what's inspired by the holidays. Mm-hmm. And so, so yeah, so in 2004, it was a total of $792. Does that also include like experiences? Like if parents tell the kids, we're taking you to Disney World, but that's not happening. Like, does it also include that kind of stuff? We Just don't ask specifically about that. We do look at how people spend on experiences and other studies. We do more as a behavioral tactic. Because a lot of times when people purchase a gift of experience for their kids or a significant other, they're doing other things along with that. You know, maybe you're buying a t-shirt for Disneyland or something like that. So we look at that type of buying around it, but gifts of experience because this is based on how people are answering it, if they're thinking, "Hey, I'm going to buy a gift of experience and so I'm spending X amount on the holidays," they'll include it in their answer, but it is a little subjective there. Sure. And as you pointed out, this was back before we did a lot of online shopping. In fact, it wouldn't be until 2005 that the term Cyber Monday is coined, and the NRF is who coined it. I know. Isn't that Crazy. I mean, I 
didn't join the NRF until three years ago, yeah. just about three years ago. And I sort of knew NRF had coined the term, but then I also kind of grew up hearing Cyber Monday. It and just so always I, was, it's right? It's pretty yeah. amazing to work at a place that created it. But I don't know if we're going to touch on this later, but um, we're almost thinking we need to come up with a new term because it's Thanksgiving shopping is now a five-day event. And uh, it's really almost not even about Cyber Monday or Black Friday anymore. It's kind of about a full extravaganza. So it's changing again. So we need a new term. Happy welcome for suggestions. Right. Yeah. And the term cyber is very 19 or 2005. It came out in 2000. So like the term cyber is very yeah. like using an E in yeah. front of something, yeah, which yeah. is which is fine. It's just how we shop. Like why, right? Like why, mm-hmm. why define it? All right. Should we head to the present? Yes. Let's do that. Ooh. That was a is little that better. Co- that was better that time. <laughs> Bro! The, the ghost of the present? I <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm going to say. I don't I get it so. either. I'm just doing what Allison tells me. Right. Whenever yeah. the, like, the spirits of holidays, past, present, and future come, they're like, oh, I'm a ghost. Ebenezer. Like, think about things. <laughs> why are you? Why are I'll you, just do what you tell me. Why are you not with me? Well, I asked for bells, and I don't see any jingle bells in your hand, so that obviously didn't happen. Maybe they'll get added in post production. Do it in post. Probably not. <laughs> it's going to sound awesome in post. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> I can only hope. All right. Bro, look, it's the ghost of. I'll just do it myself. Woo! Bro, look, we're being visited by the ghost of holiday spending present. So, all told, on average, per person, the NRF estimates that we'll spend over $1,000 on the holidays for gifts, decorations, and other stuff, which is up over the previous year. Were you guys surprised by that, or were you like, oh, no, this, this makes sense? Well, it makes sense because it's in line with what we're predicting for the overall retail season or holiday season and retail sales throughout the year as well. So overall for November and December, we were expecting retail sales to grow between 3.8 and 4.2%. Now, obviously, that's a number that the economists come up with based on a lot of factors. And this is based on a consumer survey. But it's always great when those two things are in line. So we were expecting people to say they would spend a little bit more. They're spending 4% more, about 40-ish dollars more than they spent last year. And that's in line with what we are expecting based on consumer confidence and other factors. People are feeling good about themselves, so they're willing to spend just a little bit more. When you break it down, it's like, one extra gift for coworkers, maybe a little bit more in a gift for your, you know, parent or spouse or special person in your life. So it um, you know averages out to kind of a very sort of tangible increase. Can I ask a point of clarification? So sure. is this when it's a thousand dollars per person? I have a family of five people. Does that mean that on average a five person family is going to be spending five thousand dollars, or is that I as the person with who spends the money will be spending a thousand dollars? So it's uh, per person. For adults, okay. so for uh, if you're a two adult household, we guess about two thousand dollars. Don't know okay. if that's accurate. I know you're you're okay. saving some money here. You're looking for sales, so <laughs> well, it's definitely uh, not going to be five thousand dollars. <laughs> yes, that's for sure. Yes. Right, and of course this is a though, national maybe. average. So mm-hmm. you know, higher income households are at the upper end, and lower income households might be spending a little less. But it speaks to the fact that the holidays is a it's a big time of year for people, and they are spending a lot of money. So they oftentimes like to stretch that out, which is one reason we're sort of noticing a longer holiday season than maybe we have in the past. You know, people want to budget that. That's a lot to come out of one paycheck mm-hmm. for for folks. So uh, we see people starting shopping, you know, in some cases before Halloween, which was crazy to me until I saw the sales starting before <laughs> Halloween, and then going all the way up until the 24th or 25th. And of course, there's post-Christmas shopping too. 
All right, bro. Does this sound accurate to you? Six hundred and fifty-nine dollars for gifts for families, friends, and coworkers. How does that sound for the Brocamp family? For for you, just just you personally. Uh, it, it's again, if it's if it's per person, that's too high. If it's like doubling that for me and my wife, I guess that sounds about right. Yeah. 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 I I think it's always. I mean, numbers like these are always fascinating yeah. to be like. How do I compare to? All right. So then, two hundred twenty-seven for non-gift holiday purchases such as food or decorations. You're like, yeah. yeah, we eat a lot in the bro camp. You guys well, actually aren't big eaters. We're not big, but we do like. Uh, we do like going out, and we do like decorating. Uh, okay, all right. Yeah. And then 162 on other non-gift purchases for yourself or your family. Do you buy yourself a little something when you go out? I can't. Uh, no, not really. You don't? Oh, I do. I'm so guilty <laughs> I of do. that. Oh, I'm yeah. so guilty of that. I'd say my wife does, but I can't. Uh, yeah. Unsurprisingly, I do. it does skew. It's, it, women are more likely to, as well as younger shoppers. So it's not everyone. Just you treat don't yourself. Care exactly. I mean, come on. All right. So you want to hear about what are on people's wish lists this year? So the number one item, this surprised me gift cards? Yep. You just ask for a gift card? You just say, Robert Brokamp, I would like a gift card. That's the best way for you to tell me you care about me, is to just basically give me a gift card. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're like, no, uh, people like no, I don't. I mean, I, yeah. yeah I they get to pick them, their own thing. Yeah. Up, so. Yeah. My experience with it is for, when my kids have gotten gift cards, or we've been, mm-hmm. is we put them in a drawer and we forget about them. So that's not like mm. I, why I don't like getting gift cards, because I'm just always, I'm not good at using my mm. gift cards. Yeah. I still have Crate and Barrel gift cards left over from our wedding, which was <laughs> over a decade ago. So do that's, stores factor this in? Do they figure like okay we if we that sell? Question. I'm not sure, but yeah. my husband like keeps a a tabulation. Oh, it's, see, now it's the look only at time that. he is like really. I'm the data driven person in our family, but he has like a handle on how many gift cards we have and makes sure that we use them. He's like, you have 20 cents left on this one at Starbucks. I, like, <laughs> <laughs> I think we can forget that. <laughs> Very admirable. I like it. Uh, the second most popular request is clothing or accessories. Yeah, you're like, yeah, I'm fine with that. I'm wearing a Christmas sweatshirt, right? Sweater yeah. right now, holiday yeah. sweater. Right Except now. I say, so if when my wife asks for that, I like, she asks for, like, for athletic clothes for me for Christmas. I'm, like, I'm not. I, I am in no position to be choosing any sort of clothing for her. I'm. I like. I. It's total hit or miss. It's probably even worse. I'm probably wrong seventy percent of the time. Which what is you'll like. Perhaps why women are significantly more likely to ask for gift cards that than could men. Be it. <laughs> could be it. Uh, so the third most requested item on shoppers' wish list this year is books and other media, then electronics, home decor, jewelry, personal care, sporting goods. On so down. Uh, books and other media are ahead of electronics. Yes. Don't look at me. So that also includes <laughs> when we say books and other media. It also includes video games. Um, uh, so. Okay. You know, streaming <laughs> subscriptions, all of that. So yes, it's in today's world. But I mean, reading. I so many people I know are reading on their e advice devices and right. stuff like that. I I don't have data saying reading is up, but I feel like it's almost become a have a resurgence. Yeah. Yeah. All right, bro. Do I you, hope so. Do you want to guess uh, how much expected spending will be on gift cards this season? Again, is this like per person or total? Total. This isn't a number in the billions. Oh. <laughs> um, billions. Yeah. 
That's my guess, Billy. No, oh, no, no. It's <laughs> 27 times that. <laughs> yeah, $27.5 billion is going to be spent on gift cards this season. Holy cow. So I was surprised by this, that the number one uh, type of gift card is for restaurants. That surprised me. Well, see, it didn't surprise me. In my family, gift cards are a big thing. And everyone, if there's a, we do a gift card exchange. Yeah. And uh, not that my family is, t- we don't base the survey on my family. Just <laughs> we need to be on trend this year. And therefore, <laughs> half of us will be giving gift but cards. But if there's the a half. Chipotle or Starbucks mm. gift card in there, it is a hot commodity and it gets stolen so many times during this yep. gift exchange. So yep. I think if you, you know, when you break it down to the actual, you know, brands or types of stores or types of restaurants, it starts to make more sense. Like, oh, yeah, I would love a Dunkin' gift card or, you know, whatever your restaurant or beverage place of choice is. Right? Yeah. And that is nice, that because we've talked on the show before about how being able to give experiences and not just items is a really great gift that keeps on giving and gives memories. And so, the uh, giving the gift of going out to eat with a family member, I mean, how much would you pay for that, bro? $27.5 billion. But you'd probably spend about $50 on average, which yes. is what it breaks down to, and people buy about three. So when you put it in those terms, it's like, oh, that all of a sudden makes sense how it gets to $27 billion, or $27.5 billion. So the last thing to look at is where are we planning to shop, such as online or department stores? And um, obviously, this is not like we, we don't do all of our shopping online or all of our So um, if I'm reading this right, 56% of our shopping will be online. That's which correct. has surpassed department stores. Yes, but it's actually also sort of leveled off in recent years. So mm. when we look at this historically, yes, there was a big increase in online and it grew steadily for several years. But now what's become clear and what really played out this past Thanksgiving is that people want choice. To your point, they don't want to only shop online. They don't want to only shop in store. They like to shop across both channels. And so it really seems like we're in this, I know omni-channel is a very tired term at this point. Again, if anyone has a new one, we're open. <laughs> um, but it, it really is how people shop in reality. And so that's been really interesting to us. And also, department stores have a lot of holiday traditions mm-hmm. that I think people resonate with, and whether it's the decorations or heading out there with your family. So that's always a really strong one, too. I know when I look at these numbers, I'm always like, oh, well, I do all of my shopping online. But then when I stop and think about it, I'm like, well, no, actually, I buy a bunch of food for Christmas dinner at Whole Foods, and that's not online. And then I go, you know, to the outlet malls because I have to get an exploded plaid shirt for my husband because that's all he wants for Christmas. And um, so it's with all of these numbers, including this actual sheer number spending, Initially, I'm always like, oh, no, we don't spend nearly that much. Oh, no, we don't do that. But then when I actually stop to think about it, yeah. I'm like, oh, wait. Well, actually, I just got done spending 150 bucks on holiday cards to send out to people. So, yes, okay, I forgot about that one. <laughs> that adds up. and yeah, Exactly. Yeah, when you start breaking it out to your own uh, personal experience, it's like, oh, yeah, that is how I behave. Yeah. Turns out I'm not that different from the average American. Right. Yeah. All right, Rick, do you want to do the last woo or do you want me to do it? Oh, bro, it looks like we're being visited by the final spirit. It's the spirit of holiday shopping future. I wonder what we'll learn. Me too. Okay, good. Thank you. Um, So, what's fascinating about looking at the chart of spending from 2004 to now is that 
um, you know, we start. Where did we start off? We started with seven hundred something dollars in two thousand four, and generally it goes up. Except for there's a little dip in two thousand eight and two thousand nine, right. but it really just dips down to two thousand four levels, which is kind of fascinating. So yeah. like, it's not like in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, the spigot was totally turned off and no one spent anything. Um, but you do expect to see a dip in spending in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. So, where do you see? Kind of holiday shopping going in the future. Is it going to continue to climb up as long as the economy is doing well? That seems like the easy answer, but I don't know. I mean, that is what we expect as long as the economy is doing well. And right now, consumer spending is a big powerhouse of, of the economy and the economy's growth that we would expect that to continue. Again, you know, maybe it doesn't jump up $200 per, on average per person, but these incremental growth of 4% are about. $50 per person for the holidays does does seem to make sense when you put it in that context. So yes, I mean, obviously we're in surrounded by a lot of uncertainty right now when it comes to the economy. So, you know, things could slow down, that could pull back, but uh, as of now, we're we're on a good path. Do we know if people are spending more on the same number of presents and gifts and things or are they just spending more on more people. Um, I know some years there are more coworkers that get holiday gifts than others. You guys will be getting a holiday gift from me, but um, it's funny you mention the coworkers because so it's it's sort of both. Uh, people are spending more on their families and friends and kind of that first circle. Mm-hmm. But then we noticed this year and in last year, you know, when we saw some bigger bigger. Well, last year was a little bit of a weird year. I won't use that one, but. Um, you know, people are intending to spend more on sort of the the other people in their larger groups. So coworker gifts have grown, gifts for sort of your neighbors, your teachers, that has also grown grown as well. So it seems like when people feel good about their mm-hmm. own situation, they want to spend a little bit more on special occasions and special people. So I mean I've been I've been really pushing that coworker stat at work. I'm really expecting a lot of <laughs> right? a lot of gifts from people this year. A lot of mugs. A lot of mugs yeah. saying best coworker ever. Yes. And... I know I saw a coworker gift guide that was a Suggesting you give someone a cashmere scarf, I was like, "Man, wow!" I like to work there. You leave that out. <laughs> leave that on the printer for your coworkers to see. Um, why was last year a little weird? Well, we had a really strong October, and then there was a lot that happened in the latter half of the season. So we saw retail spending uh, really pull back and kind of fall behind most people's expectations. There was a lot of volatility in the stock market. Yep. There was the government shutdown. It, tariffs and the trade war. And then also there was some uncertainty with the Fed as well. And all of that kind of came together and we saw you know slower retail sales in December than we were expecting. Now, you might say some of those factors are still around right now. And that's certainly true. But there was there was a very you know specific mix of things that was impacting consumer spending in the last part of the holiday season. So we're hoping that doesn't happen again right now. Like I said, people are optimistic about what they're going to spend and Thanksgiving appeared to have been a really outstanding weekend for a number of reasons, both in terms of how many people shopped and Mm -hmm. then what other groups outside of ours are saying they spent. Um, It's really impressive. So it seems like people are fully embracing the holiday spirit this year. It feels like this year there was less, and maybe this was me personally in my life, it felt like there was less of the um, line up outside of the stores to be able to be sure you're getting in at two in the morning for this doorbuster. Is that becoming less and less, or is that just me perceiving it that way? I think 
some of that is personal perception. There are definitely some families where that is their tradition mm-hmm. and some retailers that make a big deal out of it. But we're seeing a lot more, again, variety and choice. So if you want to shop online and not go stand in out in the cold, you can do that. You can actually do that from your phone at Thanksgiving dinner when you don't want to listen to your family talk anymore. Yeah. Maybe that's or you want to just take a break <laughs> and let the food digest. Right. So people can really shop any way they want to throughout the whole weekend. And I think you even saw that with with the way deals were staggered. So there were some specific or time-sensitive deals, but overall the deals I was seeing at least were more kind of all all weekend long. Uh, Maybe there were some new ones specific to Black Friday or Cyber Monday, but really people had a little bit more leisure to shop. Yeah, is there anything we can glean from like the the young the young kids and how they're shopping that you think might become trends for the future as far as how they do it or what they're interested in or just the kids always going to be interested in Instagram? I don't know, <laughs> and TikTok. And uh, I don't know. There's certainly that, but I actually think the more interesting is not their digital behavior, but actually uh, we see younger consumers, particularly under the age of 25, which is. Um, I know we we talk about millennials forever. I'm a millennial. I'm used to being the focus, but in reality, there's this new generation coming up, Gen Z, that is you know in college. The oldest are in college and kind of entering the workforce now, and they really like shopping in stores. And they say not really, really yes. Um, and this has been <laughs> across kids, the board. Yeah. And that doesn't mean they don't love digital shopping, and they're not using a ton of digital platforms and and social channels, but they like the experience of the store. Now, the store does have to be entertaining. It has to have what they're looking for. It might offer a specific experience or a retail party or something to set it apart. But they do not not only do they say they're shopping in the stores, they say they prefer to shop in store in a lot of cases. Where are they doing it? Like, all the malls of my day shut down. Like, where... (laughs) Like what? Where? So, like, what are maybe? And I know you can't pick out your favorite child, um, but are there companies right now that you think are doing a really good job of creating an experience? And you think that these are companies that maybe our listeners should keep an eye on as something that is ahead of the trend or or doing something exciting in the space of retail. So I have twins, so I literally can't have a favorite child. <laughs> right? <laughs> but well, I think the the mix that seems to really be working and appealing uh, to younger consumers, but actually also a little bit to, to older consumers, it's sort of a a mix of really delivering on the basics. So, do you make shopping easy and convenient regardless of channel? Do you tell people if they head to the store, they know that the item they're looking for is in stock? I don't know if you've noticed this in apps that you use; it'll often tell you what aisle it's in, even. And then from the store side, are you open to sort of switching up the store experience? It's not just about making a sale. Is it maybe more about um, an easy place for people to pick up orders that they placed online in the store? and pick them up in the store? Are you allowing people to kind of use the store to customize or personalize their products? So a, a company, I mean, everyone talks about Nike, they're great at what they do, but um, they have a fantastic flagship in New York where they it's all about experience. Yes, they sell things and they have a great seamless selling environment, but they'll switch it up. Sometimes it's like a museum of two athletes who have worn Nike products. Mm. You can there's an actual basketball court where you can book time and get coached and also try out the shoes and see how it works for you. Huh. So it's really engaging, it's really interactive and it yes, it's about the product and the selling, but it's also about what your experience is and how you're using it. There are other companies um, who are, you know, 
bringing digital into the store. So, hey, I really like this product. Let me look on their social channels and see how people like me have used it or worn it and how it looks on them. And, oh, maybe I'll share my own review right now live on the store and their social uh, feeds. So that bringing those two worlds together is really appealing to younger customers. So I would watch companies doing those types of things. It, it's uh, I think it's very exciting. You, you think shopping is shopping, but in reality, it changes every day. Yeah, yeah. Do you mind sticking around? And uh, we're going to test your guys' knowledge of Barbies and Legos. Are you ready? <laughs> oh, boy. All right, here we go. <laughs> so, also thank you to the NRF. We know what are the top toys for this holiday season. And crazy enough, I was, I was actually really surprised about this because these are so timeless. It's Barbies for girls and Legos for boys. Hmm. It rarely changes. It's been, but I mean, the products themselves have gotten an update. Yes, in a yes, lot of true. ways. But yes. yeah, and there are some newer trends on the list too. But uh, the top ones are definitely Barbie and Legos. Legos. You can get a uh, Supreme Court Justice Judge Barbie if you want. <laughs> well, I, I like that, that actually. And she, it's it's awesome. I it's like delightful. That. All right. Well, let's see how much you guys know about Legos and Barbies. So I've got some fun facts here um, that I took from Mental Floss uh, from an article by Stacy Conrad over at Mental Floss and an article from Jesus Diaz over at Gizmodo. Are you ready? Ready. Which was invented first, Legos or Barbie? I would say Barbie. I'll go with Legos. Rick, do you want to guess? Barbie. So the company that would become Lego was founded in 1932 by Ole Kirk Christensen in Bulland, Denmark, and they made things like ironing boards and wood toys. The current Lego stud and tube coupling system was actually patented in 1958. Barbie made her public debut in 1959. Oh, so close. It's her 60th birthday this Man, year. She looks great. All right. Do you all know Barbie's full name? No. Barbara. Shannon thinks she knows it. We have a Shannon. guest in the studio. Shannon here. Jones, special guest. It is Barbara Millicent Roberts. Yes, it is. Holy Shannon. shaving cream. Wow. That's right. <laughs> and she was named after Mattel co founder Ruth Handler's daughter. So Lego also has a fun story behind its name. The word Lego was formed from the Danish words leg gut, which means play well. Later, they realized that it was Latin for the phrase I put together. Well, how wow. perfect. Or I gather and I collect. So they were like, well, that's wonderful. Serendipity. Isn't that great? All right. It's fair to say that Barbie has had some body issues over the years. At <laughs> one sixth scale, her proportions have at times been as ridiculous as 38, 18 waist, and 28. So coming in at five foot nine, how much do you think Barbie actually weighs? Oh, God. 98. Like if she was a real person. Real person? Yeah. Say 110. <gasps> you nailed it. Wow. So we got a clue from the 1965 slumber party Barbie. She came with her very own How to Lose Weight book. Oh my oh, goodness. Favorite gracious. topic at all slumber right? the one where you wound her arm and things shrunk. It included tips like don't eat. So she also came with a bathroom scale that put her at five foot nine inches, uh, weighing in at 110 pounds. You nailed it. Yeah, Barbie. Barbie. 110 pounds. Ken, Ken, by the way, has a very interesting story. There's a whole article about it. Just look it up. Okay. Basically, a debate about how anatomically correct he should be. Well, Move there are some, Moving along. There's some vague parts. Yes. Is the plural of Lego, plural of Lego, is it Legos, as we say in the United States, or should it be Lego, as they say in the UK? The plural of Lego. 
if you have a whole bunch of Legos or Lego, what's the correct way to say it? I've always said Legos, so I'm going to go with that. Low guy. How's that? <laughs> I like that. <laughs> um, I I'm going to say I bet it's probably Lego. I think it depends on if you're going with the Danish origin or the Latin origin. Mm, very good. <laughs> yes, of course. This is a trick question because Lego is actually an adjective. What? What? So yeah. it should always be Lego bricks, Lego buildings, uh, Lego products. It's an adjective. Mm. What? I don't know how many kids are going to put Lego bricks on my... Lego uh, bricks. Dear mother, I would so cherish some Lego bricks more for Christmas. More stud too, please. Yes. Okay. How many Legos are there in the world? Oh, my god. So, essentially, how many have been created since 1958? 27.5 billion. I think that's a great number. <laughs> I was going to say, it's remind me of like a business school case. I think it's higher than that. Oh, it's definitely higher than that. Oh, Okay. Let's say 100 billion. Let's go there. 400 billion Legos oh. have been produced since 1958. There are about 62 Lego bricks per person on the Earth's population. Wow. And at least 30 are in your couch cushions. And somewhere you're about to step on some, too. All right, last question. They'll be on the planet forever. Legos are built to very high and exacting standards. How many of every million Legos that come off the assembly line are defective and deemed not worthy for sale? So, how many out of every Legos that they make are they like, nope, something wrong with it? 13%. Ooh, I was going to say like 2%. It's an actual number. Oh. Out of, a mil- out of 1 million, it is 18. What? Just 18. Wow. Because, as it turns out, the machines that build the Legos are also built to very high standards. And so they are very precise brick molding machines. And there are very few bad pieces built. Only 18 out of every million produced. Well, that's good. That's very impressive. Incredible. Oh, so here we go. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me and for teaching me something about Barbie and Lego. I will <laughs> not view the toy shopping list the same way again. Right? This is so wonderful. Well, we do appreciate you crossing the river all the way from D.C. Um, where should people go if they want to do some more comparing of themselves when it comes to holiday shopping and just spending in general? Well, they should go to NRF.com, and we have a winter holidays page that has all this information and more. We'll be updating it throughout the season with uh, numbers as well as fun facts, so check it out. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining on us on this journey through time. Thank you, Rick, for the woo noises. I appreciate that. <laughs> That's the show. It's edited. Cons- Wooingly. <laughs> that works by Rick Engdahl. Our email is answers at fool.com. For Robert Brokamp, I'm Allison Southwick. Stay foolish, everybody.